You may be seated. The title of this sermon is God's Will and Power to Save. Our text this morning introduces the third servant song in our series of the book of Isaiah. The third servant song portrays this servant that we've been preaching about as a suffering servant. Therefore, we will see the heart of the gospel and the hope it offers to unbelievers who are living in the darkness of sin and the hope it offers to believers who are living in the darkness of light or life. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word this morning that reminds us of who you are and your faithfulness, your mercy, and your grace. We thank you that your word this morning reminds us of your steadfast love and your patience and your compassion as a people. We fail. We fail continually, but we thank you that we have been washed clean by the blood of Christ. Father, I pray that you would Open our hearts and our minds now to your word, that you would remove every distraction so that we may behold the beauty of your, of your law, that we may behold the mercy and grace that is displayed in our text this morning. Father, be glorified, Jesus Christ, be magnified. Holy Spirit, grant help to this weak man who desires to serve your church by the preaching of your word. And with confidence, by the power of your Holy Spirit, may your church be edified and strengthened. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. According to fatherhood.org, adolescent boys with absent fathers are more likely to engage in delinquency than those with fathers who are present at home. While I respect that statement, because I believe that, that the, the roles of fathers in the home is very, are very important, these roles are very important, they do make a difference in how our children behave in society. But... Biblically speaking, this statement isn't always true. Imprisoned adolescent boys who committed crime did not commit the crime because of the absence of their fathers in their home. They were imprisoned for their crime because they are simply sinful. Well, Isaiah begins chapter 50 with a similar assertion. It is as if Isaiah, Israel was saying that they were exiled because God had randomly abandoned them or rejected them. God did not reject Israel. Israel rejected God. And despite their claim, we'll see that the proof is in the pudding. I think most of you are probably old enough to relate to that. Israel was in exile because of their sin. And despite their sin of rebellion that ushered in, 
ushered them into Babylonian captivity, God was still willing and able to redeem them and deliver them from their captivity. Church, how amazing and great is our God's love and faithfulness. Here's the main burden of the text. Here's what I believe the main burden of the text is. Despite our sin, God is able to redeem and deliver us in times of darkness. Therefore, church, let us trust in him. Let us rely on him in all of our days. Verses 1 through 3 in our text addresses that Israel the charge that Israel leveled against the Lord in chapter 49, verse 14. If you look at chapter 49, verse 14, it says this, but Zion said, or Israel, or the Jewish people said this, the Lord has forsaken me. My Lord has forgotten me. Therefore, in our text this morning, the Lord responded with his rhetorical questions. And so these questions lead us to see that it was Israel's sin that led them into Babylonian captivity. Despite their sin, we'll see that the Lord is willing and able to save them. That's what we'll see in verses 1 through 3. So let's dive right into our text. Verse 1, thus says the Lord, where is your mother's certificate of divorce? with which I sent her away? Or which of my creditors is it to whom I have sold you? Behold, for your iniquities you were sold, and for your transgressions your mother was sent away. And so what is God trying to get at in these rhetorical questions? Well, he's trying to get Israel to see, and he's he's trying to get us to see today that he didn't send them away. We are to see that he didn't sell them to his creditors as if he had any creditors, as if he had any debts that he could not pay. No, Israel was in Babylonian captivity because of their iniquities and their transgressions. You see that. In verses 1 through 3. So what was their iniquity? We're in chapter 50. So we've been in this series for a long time. They hoard themselves after the gods of the other nations. It was their depravity. What What was their transgression? It was their rebellion when God offered up to help them Um, fight their enemies to rescue them and to deliver them from their enemies, they rejected his help and his offer. And so it was because of their sin against God that they were vomited out of the promised land and exiled into Babylonian captivity. You see, Israel's faithfulness were were not merely mistakes or acts, or accidents, Israel's unfaithfulness, I should say, were not merely mistakes or accidents. No, they willfully rejected God's offer to save them from their enemies. And so what about us today, church? Are you, are you in a mess today because 
God somehow got tired of you and abandoned you? For those who are in Christ Jesus, God has promised to never leave us nor forsake us. So, no, we get into the mess because of our sin. We get into trouble because we reject God's holy ways of doing things, of living our lives. We get into the trouble that we get into because we have rejected God himself and his offer to help. And so to to further this argument, God continues to ask rhetorical questions. Look with me at verse 2. Why, when I came, was there no man? Why, when I called, was there no one to answer? Is my hand shortened that it cannot redeem? Or have I no power to deliver? When, when God came to the prophet Isaiah and called to his people through the prophet Isaiah to trust in him for their deliverance from the attacks of their enemies, why did no one come forth to answer God's call of help? Why do we quench the Holy Spirit sometimes when he convicts us of our sin? Why do we sometimes not take the, the, the way of escape out of temptation that God provides so that we can endure the temptation through in temptation so that we can endure through that temptation? Why do we sometimes not trust in God's goodness and his promises when we get into a jam? It's really because we have chosen to believe that God is not big enough for the problems that we face. It's because that we believe that God does not have the power to deliver us from our challenging and very difficult circumstances. So church, we are supposed to see in verse 2 that Israel should have answered God's call and accepted his offer for deliverance from their enemies. We are supposed to see that, that God was ready to rescue and deliver them and restore them to himself. God was ready to move on their behalf only if his people would have only humbled themselves, admitted their sin, and trusted in him. So what about you today, church? Do you see that God's hand can redeem? Do you see that God has the power to deliver us from all the challenging situations that we get ourselves into or that we happenstance get ourselves into? Let me ask you this. What do you need to do to humble yourself and repent of your sins so that God, by his grace, can redeem and deliver you from your current situation. What do we need to do, church? Do you believe that God is willing and able to redeem and deliver you from all the hardships that you are going through? Just in case Israel has forgotten, just in case we have forgotten, Isaiah says this in the, in the last part of verse 2 through verse 3. Listen to this. Behold, 
My, by, by my rebuke, I dry up the sea. I make the rivers a desert. Their fish stink for lack of water and die of thirst. I clothe the heavens with blackness and make sackcloth their covering. You see, the reference to the Lord drying up the sea should have evoked memories for the Israelites about the great exodus from Egypt. For the Israelites and for us who have the complete revelation of God's word, it should have evoked some memories about God's great power to move heaven and earth to deliver his people. The drying up of the sea should remind us of the splitting of the Red Sea that we see in Exodus chapter 14, verse 21. The stinking of the fish should remind us of Exodus 7, 20, of the dead fish in the Nile River because God through Moses turned all the water into blood. The darkening of the heavens should remind us of Exodus 10, 21 through 22, when God through Moses stretched out his hand so that during the brightness of day, darkness fell over the land of Egypt. It reminds me of a story of how God, in the midst of poverty, took a little boy from the Philippines, brought him to America, called him to be a pastor to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Church, that's nothing short of God moving heaven and earth to me. The odds of that happening is none without God's power and ableness. What about you, church? How has God moved heaven and earth to get you where you are today? Remember, his hand is not shortened. He's able to redeem and deliver you from anything you're going through. Listen, if you're not a believer this morning and you have not accepted Jesus as the Lord and Savior of your life, then I want to appeal to you. I want to appeal to you. Repent of your sin. Confess your need of Jesus to save you from the punishment of sin. Accept him as your Lord and Savior, and the Lord will redeem you. The Lord will deliver you from the darkness of sin and transfer you into his marvelous light and give you eternal life with him forever. Verses 1 through 3 shows us that God is willing and able to save by redeeming and delivering his people. Next, we will see how he accomplished this redemption and deliverance through his obedient servant. Look with me at verses four and five. The Lord God has given me the tongue of those who are taught, that I may know how to sustain with the word him who is weary. Morning by morning, he awakens. He awakens my ear to hear as those who are taught. The Lord God has opened my ear, and I was not rebellious. I turned not backward. Here, the servant is speaking. This third servant song describes him as an obedient and faithful servant, but it's also going to describe that he will be a suffering servant. 
this third servant song in our text anticipates the Messiah, which will be clearly pictured in the fourth servant song in chapters 52 and 53. So what I want us to see is that the Savior's obedience to the Lord or the servant's obedience to the Lord leads to his suffering. But you see, church, he doesn't suffer because of his iniquities or his transgressions. He suffered because of Israel's iniquities. He suffered because of Israel's transgressions. He suffered because of our iniquities. He suffered because of our transgressions. He suffered in order to sustain those who are weary. We should notice in our study of this text that the title Lord God, or it's translated Sovereign Lord, appears four times in our text. When you see words repeated multiple times in a passage, emphasis is intended. That's how you study the word of God. And so exegetically, this emphasis helps us to understand the intimate relationship the servant had with the Lord. Look with me at verse 4. The Lord God has given me. Verse 5, the Lord God has opened my ear. Verse verse 7, but the Lord God helps me. Verse 9, behold, the Lord God helps me. There is this intimate relationship with God the Father. This emphasis also serves to help us see the seriousness of his calling and the surety of his vindication. The Lord God had given this servant a tongue to describe his ministry. It's a prophetic ministry that points to Jesus. Unlike Israel's deaf ears toward the Lord, this servant constantly listened to God's direction. Unlike Israel's rebellion against the Lord, this servant is obedient to God. Unlike Israel who failed to be the witness of God to the other nations, this servant will faithfully proclaim the word of God to the, Lord, uh, to the world. To proclaim the word of God to the world is to proclaim God himself. He was to proclaim God's word to those who were weary. To proclaim God's word for this servant is to sustain the weary. Let me ask you this, church. Are any of you weary this morning? Yeah. So who are the weary? Well, in the context of redemption, it is those who have become weary because of a works-based salvation. It is those who try to justify themselves by doing good works. The servant proclaims the word of God to the brokenhearted and the crushed in spirit. The servant proclaims the word of God to extend mercy and grace to the outcast and the marginalized. The servant comes to those who become weary of sin and are ready to confess their sin and their guilt. He sustains the weary by taking their grief and their sorrow. The servant goes to the weary and was wounded for their transgression. He was crushed for their iniquities. And so how does this obedient, faithful, suffering servant 
obey God's will? By suffering for sinners like you and me. Look with me at verse 6. I gave my back to those who strike and my cheeks to those who pull out the beard. I hid not my face from disgrace and spitting. Church, Jesus was whipped and lashed as a public punishment for the sins of others. Matthew 27, verse 26 says this, Then he released for them Barabbas, and having scourged Jesus, delivered him to be crucified. The pulling of one's beard was a public humiliation. He was despised. He was rejected and reviled by men, yet he did not hide his face from disgrace and spitting. Matthew 26, verse 27. Then they spit on his face and struck him and slapped him. He was oppressed and afflicted by men, yet he remained silent. Acts 8.32 says this, Like a sheep he was led to slaughter, like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. This faithful, obedient servant was a suffering servant because of our iniquity. Because of our transgressions. Praise be to God, church. Where did he find his courage and strength to die for sinful man? Look with me at verse 7. But the Lord God helps me. Therefore, I have been disgraced. Therefore, I have set my face like a flint and I know that I shall not be put to shame. He found his courage and strength from God the Father's sovereign help. The servant was obedient, so he chose to suffer willingly to sustain those who are weary. He suffered willingly with resolute because he was confident of the sovereign Lord's help. Therefore, he set his face like a flint or a stone. Luke chapter 9 verse 51 says this, when the, when the days drew near for him to be taken, he set his face like a flint or stone to go to Jerusalem. He was obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Philippians chapter 2 verse 8. This fourth servant song will clearly state that this servant who suffered for others was not guilty. No, he suffered because others were guilty. Jesus, the sinless one, confidently set his face like a stone to go to Jerusalem and die for sinners because he knew that God would vindicate him. Look with me at verse 8. He who vindicates me is near. The apostle Paul says this in 1 Timothy 3.16. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. This innocent, sinless, suffering servant suffered for guilty disobedient, rebellious people confidently because he knew one day that God the Father would vindicate him. 
glory be to our Savior. He took our blame and our shame willingly so that we can be confident, so that we don't have to turn our face from God. Look with me at verses 8 and 9. Let's continue. Who will contend with me? Let us stand up together. Who is my adversary? Let him come near to me. Behold, the Lord God helps me. Who will declare me guilty? Behold, all of them will wear out like a garment. The moth will eat them up. Though Jesus' enemies seem like they won when they killed him on the cross, just look at what happened on the third day, church. Who can be against God? Man, death, Jesus, they were defeated like a wore-out garment ridden with moth-eaten holes. Trinity, clearly, Jesus died for us because he was for us and he is for us and he will always be for us. If God is for us, then who can be against us? Then what can be against us, church? Romans 8, 31 through 35 says this. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies, who is to condemn. Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Trinity, Jesus suffered for us to redeem us from the slavery of sin, death, and the grave. Jesus suffered for us to accomplish God the Father's plan of redemption. All of us, if you live long enough, will experience some sort of suffering. But should we be surprised by these sufferings that we experience ourselves? 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21 says, For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that, purpose statement, you might follow in his footsteps. Church, God has called us to follow Christ into suffering. Therefore, when suffering comes to us, then we should not be surprised. 1 Peter 4 Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice in so far as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. And so why do we suffer? Why do we enter into a season of the darkness of life in this life? Something, sometimes suffering comes because of our sin. But sometimes suffering comes and it has nothing to do with our commission of sin. You see, because evil 
people and wicked people targeted Jesus, then we who follow Jesus should not be surprised when we become targets by similar opposition. We will suffer because we follow Jesus, but we will also share in his blessings when his glory will be revealed. Amen. Church, what is the purpose of suffering? For Jesus, it was to redeem sinful man. But what about for us? Well, James 1 tells us that we are to count it all joy when we meet trials of various kinds because they test our faith. And the testing of our faith produces steadfastness. It is through our suffering that we are being perfected and so that we lack nothing. So God is able and willing to save He does this through the obedience of his suffering servant. And now we are called to respond. And Isaiah defines two ways of how we are to respond in light of this this servant obedience call. First, fear the Lord by obeying the voice of the servant and trust in him and rely on him in the darkness of life. That's our first option. Here's the second option, or go about our own ways by our own wisdom and then suffer tormenting for it. As Christians, we are called to obey and trust in the Lord who saves us and delivers us from all afflictions. Here's my last point. A call to obedience, to trust in God who saves. Look with me at verse 10. Who among you fears the Lord and obeys the voice of his servant? Let him who walks in darkness and has no light trust in the name of the Lord and rely on his God. And so what does it look like to fear God? Here's what it looks like. When we fear God, that is when we truly understand that he is infinitely far superior and far greater than anything that we can place our faith and trust in in this world. This fear does not, does not lead us to run from him, but this fear leads us to run to him and trust in him and rely on him for our provision, for our protection and our deliverance, church. Listen, if you are in a very difficult situation and you cannot see where this path of life is taking you, then you just need to be, I want to I encourage you, I want to appeal to you, be faithful with what God, is, has got, what, what God has called you to do and then trust in God. Trust and rely on him in his faithfulness and loving care. Trusting in God and relying on God never fails. Why? Because the Lord has the power to deliver. If God can split the Red Sea and darken the brightness of day, if God has taken care of our great enemy, Satan, sin, death, and the grave, he is able to provide for all of your needs. Isn't he able to heal the brokenhearted and the broken relationships? Isn't he able to heal your sickness? Isn't he able to redeem 
you from the mess that you are in? Isn't he able to deliver you from the sins that you continue to struggle in? Amen. He is able and he is willing and he is ready only if we humble ourselves and confess our sin and trust and rely on him to deliver us. Trinity Community Church, trust in God, rely on God in the darkness of life. Here's the last verse. Behold, all you who kindle a fire, who, ke- who equip yourselves with burning to- torches, walk by the light of your light fire and by the torches that, have kin- that you have kindled. This you have from my hand. You shall lie down in torment. And so what does it look like to not fear or trust or rely on the Lord? It's a person who tries to, to, to uh, rely on his abilities to justify himself before a holy God. This will only lead to torment. It's a person who is self-reliant on who's in his abilities to navigate through this tumultuous life that we are in with his own wisdom. He is the one who tries to discern the future and relies on his own strength to get through life, and when we walk in our own light and reject God, we become self-sufficient, and the result of self-sufficiency is torment. In conclusion, worship team, please join me at the platform. God's hand is not shortened to redeem us. He is able to redeem us from all that weighs us down. God has the power to deliver us from all of our afflictions. Therefore, I am calling you, Trinity Community Church, to trust in the Lord and to rely on him who saves, who redeems, and delivers. Will you stand with me? Let's pray. Father, we want to respond in singing to worship you, to give you thanks for who you are, for your desire to save us and to deliver us from the darkness of life and your desire to save and deliver those who are living in the darkness of sin, who have not yet put their faith and trust in the Lord as their Savior and the Lord of their life. I pray that you would bless your word today as it went forth, that it may continue to transform us as a church, that it may continue to convict us for those who don't know you. Be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen. Church, let's sing. gift of grace is Jesus my redeemer there is no more for heaven now to give he is my joy my righteousness and freedom my steadfast love my deep and boundless peace to this I hold 
Christ in me.